Well, we're going through the book of Mark, and today we're looking at two stories of, of healing. Uh, two stories, and one story is interrupted, and it's, they're both healing stories. And, you know, as, as we go through, through COVID, you know, the vaccine is begun, beginning to come out, and there was a, a controversy in the United States uh, this last week in New York. Uh, because the, the vaccine is limited and, and there are people, the teachers are getting it first, medical workers are getting it first. Well, there was a fitness instructor who posted on Instagram that she got her vaccine. And uh, there, were, there was outrage because how could this fitness instructor jump to the front of the line and, and get, the, uh, get the vaccine? And, and she was saying, well, I'm a teacher. I teach classes. I'm helping people get through this. And, uh, you know, but from her, so for her perspective, she, you know, this is why she wanted to get the vaccine and she signed up for it and they let her get it. But there was still this outrage, like that she didn't deserve it, that she shouldn't get it, that she was jumping in front of the line. It's interesting that, that when it comes to healing, when it comes to getting a vaccine, when it comes to medical care, we can have this idea that, you know, there should be fairness, there should be equality, there, uh, there should be a line. But in, in reality, there's people who jump the line, right? And, and so if, if you're in a certain position in life, maybe you're going to get it before other people. If you're in another position in life, maybe it's going to be really hard for you to get it. That, that if you're a person of influence and power, it's a whole lot easier to get things than if you have no influence. This story, we see two people. One person has great power and influence in the community. The other has zero. Zero influence, zero power. Both of them come to Jesus. And we're going to see how Jesus responds. Is Jesus for the rich? Is Jesus for the poor? Is he for the influential? Is, is he for the outcast? Who is Jesus for? How does he respond in this situation where someone of influence and someone of no influence come to him? Does he favor one or the other? So let's look together at Mark chapter 5. And we're just going to go through this story little by little rather than reading it all together. But we're going to start, verse 21. It says, Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side. A great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live, and he went with him. So Jesus has just crossed the lake, and a crowd is gathering. There's a massive crowd around him, and Jairus shows up. Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue. He's a leader in the community. He would have been in charge of the programming, uh, of making sure the reading happened, that, that teaching was happening, taking care of guests from the outside. He would have been very respected, he had enough influence and power that he could approach Jesus face to face. That he could move through a crowd. Jesus can be surrounded by a crowd and he could move through it and get FaceTime with Jesus. 
Now, you know, if you can think of a celebrity, you know, on the street, if they have a huge crowd on them, what kind of person can split the crowd to get the, to the celebrity? A desperate person, but also someone who has power and influence, right? If I tried to cut through the crowd, people would probably elbow me, right? Say, who are you? Who, who do you think you are? Look, I'm, I'm here. But he was in a position where people made way for him. He also, as Tenduma said, is desperate. He's earnest. His, his daughter is about to die at the point of death. And he, he's got faith. And he says, Jesus, if, if you will come and lay your hand on her, she'll live. And Jesus goes with him. So Jesus is willing to leave the crowd to help this man. Now, the man expresses faith that if Jesus comes, it will be done, and Jesus commits to going. I just hold on to that thought. Jesus is committed. He leaves the crowd to go to this man's house. Well, on the way, says the great crowd followed him and thronged about him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Okay, so this woman is the complete opposite of Jairus. Now, she has been bleeding for 12 years. And in Jewish culture, if, if there's blood, if you're a woman who's bleeding, you're unclean. And what that means is you can't participate in worship. You can't, you can't go to the temple. You couldn't be in a crowd like this because you are ceremonially unclean. And not only that, anyone who comes in contact with you is unclean. So if you have a, your friends, they actually can't be with you because you will make them ceremonially unclean. And if you're unclean, you have to be separated from people for the rest of the day. And so think about that. This woman for 12 years has been sick and she's been isolated. She's been an outcast. People know they don't want to be near her. They don't want to talk to her. Imagine 12 years of sickness, 12 years of isolation. And, and the way that Mark talks about this, he just stacks up the verbs. He says, she had a flow of blood. She's having suffered from many doctors, having exhausted all her wealth, having not improved, but having gotten worse. It, it's just boom, 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 boom. She's sick, the doctors don't help. And the, this word that he uses later, the affliction, when she explains it, it, it's this strong word of pain. It's like to be whipped or scourged or, or tormented. So she's lived this painful, isolated life for 12 years. And she says, if I just touch Jesus, I'll be healed. But she can't approach Jesus face to face. Jairus could do it. Jairus could split the crowd, get in before Jesus, fall down before him, and Jesus is going to the house, but this woman has no 
influence whatsoever. In fact, if people knew she was in the crowd, they might throw rocks at her to chase her away. She gets healed. What does Jesus do? Now, remember, he's on his way to heal this dying girl. He's surrounded by a huge crowd. People are jostling him. It says he feels the power gone, that's gone out from him. And he, he turns around about in the crowd. And the language here is, is this is not he turns once and says, who touched me? But he's, he's, he's looking. He's trying to figure out who, who touched me? Who is this? Who is this? And the disciples look at him and, and basically say, that's crazy. You're crazy. How can you ask this? Don't you see? Everybody's touching you. How can you say, who touched me? And he looked around and he's looking and looking to see who did it. He, he's stopped going to the house. And he's looking for this person. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, Mark writes that in a way that makes it seem like it took about 20 seconds. But have you ever talked to someone who's been sick for 12 years? Have you ever heard the whole truth from someone who's been sick for 12 years? It doesn't take 20 seconds. When you you talk with someone who's been suffering for 12 years and they're going to tell you the whole story, you, you sit down. Everything stopped. Jesus stops and he listens to her tell the whole story. He doesn't interrupt her. He doesn't say, look, I don't have time. I'm kind of busy. I'm glad you got healed. You know, have a good day. He lets her tell the whole truth. And this is where she's going to tell about how she went to all the doctors. And Dr. Adams did this to me. And Dr. Smith did this. And Dr. Frank did this. And I spent this amount of money and this amount of money. And and then it was a really rough year because there wasn't enough food. And it says she lost all her wealth. She took the time to tell the whole story. Who does that? Who listens to someone like her tell the whole story? And when you haven't had people listen to you for 12 years, I mean, you know what it's like to be in a foreign country where people don't speak your language and then suddenly you find someone who speaks your language and you just... And you, you've spoken more words in five minutes than you've spoken in the last five months, right? <laughs> this woman talked. She told the whole truth. And Jesus listened to the whole truth while Jairus had to wait. And as a father whose daughter is dying, I'm sure he is, he's going crazy. Because he knows if Jesus can just get there before she dies, she'll be all right. If he, and then he stops for this woman. And I bet he's going, why, why? Okay, hurry up, hurry up. Yes, you know, we don't need to know about that doctor. Just finish the story, just finish the story. 
And probably the rest of the crowd is saying, why is Jesus wasting time with her? Why does he even care? She got her healing, let her go. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't want her to just get power. Jesus didn't want her to just get healed. Jesus wanted her. Jesus wanted her. Jesus loved her. Healing was not just an exchange of power. It was the person encountering God. And Jesus wanted her to know that she was precious to God. And so what is the language he uses? He says, daughter. This is the language of family. He doesn't say, woman, go in peace. He says, daughter. He is explaining to her. He's expressing to her through the way he listened to her whole story that she belongs. This person who had been treated like she was worthless for 12 years, who was an outcast for 12 years, Jesus is saying, you belong. So does Jesus favor rich people or poor people? Well, what does he do next? As he's hearing this whole story, some people from Jairus' house come, and it says he overheard, overheard this. They said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? any further. It's hopeless. You would just be a burden on Jesus at this point. Just drop it. Just let it go. At, at this point, Jairus's heart probably explodes with grief. One, that his daughter is dead. Two, that this woman stole the time that they, they could have made it. They could have made it. And, and now his friends are saying it's hopeless. And Jesus overhears it. And that, that language is Jesus hears something that he's not supposed to hear. You know, they're, they're trying to hide it from Jesus. Maybe they're whispering, just say, hey, it's over. She's dead. Don't, don't trouble him anymore. Now, one of the, there are two faults things that those friends believe. One is that it's hopeless and Jesus can do nothing. Two, that Jairus is bothering Jesus. One is that it's hopeless. Two, that he's troubling Jesus. Jesus is not troubled and it's never hopeless. Because remember, what, what did Jesus do? What did he do at the very beginning? When Jairus said, if you will just come and lay hands on my daughter, she will live. What did Jesus do? He committed. He committed to go. You see, once Jesus is committed, nothing can stop him. Not even death. Once Jesus is committed, if if you know Jesus is committed to something, there's no fear. But because we're sinful people who have trouble believing, there's fear. And Jesus overhears this, and he he said to the ruler of the synagogue, so now he's gone from the poorest to the elite, 
he says, do not fear, only believe. So if Jesus is committed to helping you and you, he gets interrupted by showing compassion on someone else, it doesn't mean you lose out. He says, don't be afraid, only believe. What, is, what does he need to do? He needs to, one, believe that Jesus is committed Two, he just saw a miracle happen right in front of him, and he needs to allow that to build his faith. Three, he needs to keep his eyes fixed on Jesus. All the way home, what he needs to be doing is just looking at Jesus, looking at Jesus, looking at Jesus. And so Jesus leaves the whole crowd behind. You know, Jesus has this remarkable ability to speak to the crowd and yet minister to an individual. He loves the crowd, but he loves the individual. And so he leaves the crowd. He only takes Peter, James, and John. They came to the house of the rulers of the synagogue. Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him but he put them all outside. Now, in, in Jesus' day, there were professional mourners. There were people you would pay to cry at the house. And so some of these they were probably there because they're getting paid, and they just think Jesus is a fool. And Jesus pushes them out. The people who don't have faith are not going to be able to witness what Jesus does. He, he wants them out of the room he only brings in the father, the mother, and his three closest disciples. So they're all outside. It says, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Now that word Talitha, it literally is, is lamb. So it's like Jesus Jesus is saying, little lamb, get up. You need to see the tenderness of Jesus in this. This is not a task. This is not a mechanical task that Jesus is doing. Like, okay, I'm going to help the synagogue ruler. You know, it's going to be dinner time in a little bit. We'll take care of this and... He, he loves this family. And he says to this little girl, little lamb, get up. It's this, in that culture, this pet name for, for little girls, for children. It says, immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. Interesting that this is a 12-year-old girl and the woman was bleeding for 12 years. And there's this connection between the two families. They were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and he told them to give her something to eat. And by eating, it would show that her healing is complete. Do you see Jesus' compassion here, his, his love? Most people, if they have a great crowd, they don't have time for individuals. 
They don't have time for the problems of individuals. Don't you see? Don't you see all these people around me? And all these people who want to listen to me. Who are you that I need to go to your house? Or who are you that you would want to touch? Jesus is so different. He's so different. He's so full of love. He's so full of compassion. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you feel like you can approach Jesus face to face or if you don't even feel like you can do that and all you can do is kind of sneak up behind him and if you just, you, you're not even worthy to talk to him, but if you could just touch him, you'd be okay. Jesus is, is not satisfied with that. He doesn't want you to just touch him. He wants you to know him. And he's made a way for anybody of any class to be able to come to him. And we see that the, the woman is helpless and hopeless. Jairus is helpless and hopeless. And they come to Jesus and Jesus can heal and fix the situation they're in. Now, It says about the woman, she had heard reports about Jesus. She had heard about him and came up behind him and and touched his garments. She knew that Jesus had healed other people. And she said, if he did it for other people, he can do it for me. If he did it for other people, he can do it for me. And so she fought her way to him. Jairus also must have heard stories and said, he can do it for my daughter. I know that if he just touches her. When we hear these stories about Jesus, it's not just about what Jesus did for other people, but it's also what Jesus can do for me. What Jesus can do in my situation. So what do we, why do we need to know this? What's important for us? When we feel helpless and hopeless, we need to know that Jesus can do anything. Jesus can do anything. Now, we might you know, stop there and say, well, hold, hold on, hold on. But I've been praying and I've been asking and Jesus didn't do it for me. I came to Jesus and I've been praying that he would heal me and he hasn't healed me. So how can I really take this as as that kind of encouragement, that kind of story? Well, I think one thing we want to see is Jesus doesn't always commit to doing what we want when we want it. He doesn't always commit to doing what we want when we want it. So, for example, six or seven years ago, I got fibromyalgia. Or not fibromyalgia, I'm sorry, plantar fasciitis. I have fibromyalgia in my notes here. I did not have fibromyalgia. I had plantar fasciitis. It's, it's when the, the muscle in your foot, um, it, it gets inflamed and you can't run. Brad went to the doctor with me once when I first came. We tried to get treatment. Um, I, you know... I prayed about this. I couldn't run. I couldn't exercise. I, I couldn't do high-intensity interval training. All, all I could do was walk. If I tried running, it, it wouldn't work. And 
you know, I would pray for healing and pray for healing. And go, we went to a doctor and I got some shots, but it, it didn't, it wasn't a long-term thing. And, you know, I know that God can heal, but he wasn't answering my prayer for this. And, you know, the funny thing was I, I don't have it anymore. And it didn't come through a miracle. It came through a friend, Chris Chun, who's, who's been here to speak. And he just made this offhanded comment where he said, you know what, I don't wear flip-flops in the house anymore. I wear Birkenstocks. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, someone told me, a surfer told me that if I wear flip-flops, it'll destroy my feet. So he said, get Birkenstocks. I'm like, I don't want to wear those hippie shoes, is what he said. <laughs> I was like, Birkenstocks, huh? So I got Birkenstocks. I wear them around the house, and I don't have plantar fasciitis anymore. So God did not heal me miraculously. It doesn't say in the word that I'm guaranteed a healing. And I, could, you know, I prayed for years, and I, I didn't get healed. He did show me what I could do to fix the problem in a natural way. Okay, so just because we, you know, we don't want to discount who Jesus is because we say, well, it wasn't my experience. I don't, I don't want to live according to my experience. I want to live according to the word of God. And, and what I see in this is when Jesus commits... He will. And when a woman grabs him by the clothes because she has faith, he does. And so there's no guarantee for healing, but you know the character of the person you're asking. If this is how Jesus treats people, then he can treat me the same way. I can look to him the same way. Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. Well, what am I going to believe in? Because there's no promise in scripture that Jesus is going to heal my plantar fasciitis. But what there is in scripture is the truth that Jesus is my healer. There's the truth that Jesus does heal today. There's the truth that he is good There's the truth that he is with me no matter what I go through. There's the truth that he will never leave me or forsake me. There's the truth that he is working all things for my good. There is the truth that he is comforting me. There's the truth that in my weakness, it's it's a canvas for his strength, as the songwriter says, or as as Jesus says to Paul in, in Corinthians, that in your weakness, my strength is displayed. Those are the truths that I can hold on to. That's why I'm not afraid. Because no matter what I go through, Jesus is with me. No matter what I go through, he's giving me strength. No matter what I go through, he will not forsake me. So even if he does not answer my prayer request, I know that he will give me what I need to make it through. But at the same time, I also know the kind of person he is. That he is someone who heals. He is someone who has compassion. He is someone who can And so I'm going to pray in faith and I'm going to approach him in faith. And when I'm in a helpless and hopeless situation, I'm not going to fall into a place where I believe that there's nothing that can be done. I will be like this for life. It will never get better. Whether or not Jesus gives us what we want when we want, He gives us himself. 
He never left Jairus. A delay does not mean no. Just because Jesus stopped along the way didn't mean that he wasn't going to the house. You see, because he had already committed himself. What has Jesus committed himself to do in your life? That's why Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And so we need to put away our limiting beliefs. Because there are some, some things that we may believe that actually stop us from experiencing the grace of Jesus. Because we may say, well, Jesus doesn't heal today, so I'm not even going to ask. Okay? If you don't believe that Jesus heals today, you won't even ask him to heal you. But his word says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word also says, I am the Lord who heals you. That is my name, Jehovah Rapha. His name is healer. And so how could it be that there's a a section in history where God says, I'm going to deny my character and not do what I do? No, he does what he does. Just because I don't get it my way, my time, when I want it, it doesn't mean that God does not do it. But if I don't believe it, I'm not even going to ask. It may be that God answered all of my prayers for healing from my feet through the conversation of the natural remedy. Start wearing Birkenstocks. So now almost all the time I'm wearing them in the house. And they're really nice, by the way. I'm not not sponsored by Birkenstocks, but I recommend them. It may be that God's answering it that way. So, one, I need to believe that he, yes, he does heal. There is no situation that is hopeless in my life. The other thing I need to believe is Jesus cares about me. Because if you believe that he is not concerned about you, you'll give up. If you believe he doesn't see your situation, he doesn't care about your situation, he doesn't understand your situation, you will give up. But I think if if we look at this story, Jesus is locked in to the people who need him. When he knows the power goes out from him, he is not going to stop until he finds who it is. The disciples are telling him, look, just leave it. Just leave it. Jairus is saying, come on, can we go? Can we go? And Jesus is locked in. I need to find this person. And this is a woman who meant absolutely nothing to society. And you may feel like I mean nothing to anybody. I am a nobody. And Jesus would say, you are somebody who's precious to me. If you don't believe you are precious to Jesus, you will not believe that he can do anything for you or that he will do anything for you. You need to believe that you are precious to Jesus, that he came for you. And and what does Jesus say? He says, if you lose one, you'll leave the 99 to go looking for the one. Jesus is talking about himself. He's saying that I go looking for you. 
And he arranges circumstances in our lives. He will do things and he will even cause things to fall apart and for us to get in situations where we are trapped so he can get us cornered. And our eyes will be open to how much he loves us. It's not because he hates us that he corners us. It's because he's trying to rescue us. And we keep running away and running away and running away. And he's saying, I want you. I want you. I want you. I want you to know you're precious to me. And if we understand that we are precious to Jesus, when we feel helpless and hopeless, we will run to him. We will seek him out like this woman who's saying, if only I touch him, I'll be made well. The other thing we we need to understand is there is no magic faith dust. You know, it would be awesome if if the Holy Spirit just downloaded faith. You know, if Sam came to me and said, you know, Peter, I, I really want more faith. I said, all right, Sam, receive faith in Jesus' name. And it's just like the download. I've got faith. It, it doesn't work like that. We want to download, but it doesn't work like that. How do we build our faith? How do we grow in our faith? How do we have that kind of faith? So if I'm not helpless and hopeless now, when I am, I'll be in, a, I'll be in the position where I'm not going to fail. I'm going to fall at Jesus' feet. We have to worship him. We have to listen to the stories about him. We have to actually think about it. You see, this is, this is a story, and I'm telling you about Jesus, and I'm telling you about his compassion. I'm telling you about his love, and I'm telling you about how he cares so deeply about this woman. And what Jesus does for one, the compassion and the care he has for one, he has for each one of us. But it does me no good... This story does me no good if I don't stop and think about it. And, and if, I don't, if I don't start to think, okay, Jesus, you really love that woman. You stopped. Like everything was saying, go, go, go. But you cared so much about her. And I started to say, Jesus, that's amazing. There's nobody like you. And I'm, I'm walking to the bus and I'm, I'm thinking about the love and the compassion and, and Jesus, people in those house, that house, they just laughed at you, but you didn't care. You just kicked them out, and then you told that little girl to get up. You see, I've, I've got to think about this. I've got to let that story live in my heart. And when others tell me their stories, I've got to remember it. You know, like, like I, I keep talking about Jessica's story, Jessica Waltman, but I love it. Because she needed 3000 US dollars to go to biblical training and, and she wasn't getting it. And Dior was trying to help her raise money and nobody's giving money. I don't even think I was giving money. Right? I mean, and she needs it. And, and you know, Jessica's what, 23, 24? You know, she, she needs this money to go do this thing that God's calling her to do. And then in church one Sunday, she just asks her group to pray for her. And they pray for her. And right there, someone commits. And you know what? It's just this amazing story. And now Jessica's posting all these pictures on Instagram of Montana and the snow. 
and now I'm jealous. <laughs> holy, no, it's probably not holy. But God did it for her. And so you know what? There's going to be a situation in my life where I'm going to feel financially helpless or hopeless. And what I want to do is remember what God did for Jessica. I want to remember it. And you know, it's not the same as scripture, but it's God's story. You know, there's a psalm. The psalmist says, come and listen. Let me tell you what God has done for me. All you who fear the Lord, come and listen. We're supposed to tell each other. This is how we build our faith. Come and listen. And let me tell you what he has done for me. Let me tell you what he did for Jessica. And if he did it for Jessica, he can do it for you. And it's not that he's going to give you $3,000. The principle is that he provides for what you need. That's what she needed. It wasn't $3,000 to go to the Maldives. It was for what she needed. He does that. But if I forget that, I'm going to be in a situation where I feel helpless and hopeless and my faith is going to fail. But if I'm building it up, if I'm building it up, then I can stand and I'm going to pursue Jesus rather than blame him or fall away from him. You know, I think of, of, uh, of Vivian, your story and how you didn't know Jesus. And it's actually in the, in the magazine she shares this story. Vivian uh, was in Australia, got a, a diagnosis, had to come back to Taiwan for medical treatment. And someone said, why don't you go to TIC? Maybe you can make some friends there. And she walked in and someone said to her, welcome home. And Vivian writes in her, her testimony that in that moment, some, God touched her heart. And it was within a few weeks you gave your life to Jesus. And, and there may be people in your life who are so far from Jesus. And you've been praying and you've been praying and you've been praying. And probably someone was praying for Vivian. And against all odds, she comes to our church and someone says those words. And in that moment, God touches her heart. God can touch someone's heart in a moment and you may feel helpless and hopeless with your family coming to know Christ and then you hear Vivian's story and you say oh God can do it he doesn't promise to do it my way on my time but God can do it and this this builds up our faith Jesus says to Jairus don't be afraid only believe Paul in Colossians, if you're in our connect group, and the lesson, the next lesson that we're going to have, he, he says, fix your eyes on things above. Fix your eyes on Christ. And, and what that means is to saturate your thoughts with Jesus. Everybody goes through life in ways, everybody experiences pain Everybody experiences sorrow and difficulty in situations where it feels helpless and hopeless. This is why Jesus came. And Jesus would say the same thing to us. Don't be afraid. Only believe. And this story is for us. 
this story is for us. It, it shows us the kingdom of God. It, it shows us what Jesus is doing. He, Jesus didn't raise everybody from the dead, and even this girl died again. And, and this woman got sick again, and she died. So his healings, the, the resurrection, it was this foretaste of what is to come. It, it wasn't the final. It wasn't the ultimate. What Mark is showing us is we have a Savior who's more powerful than death. We have a Savior who's more powerful than any hopeless situation. We have a Savior that you can put your trust in. And when you're hopeless and helpless, you look to Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus cares about you? Do you believe that he has a solution to what you're in? And it may be a miraculous healing where in a moment the disease is gone or it may be years and, and the word you get is buy some Birkenstocks. <laughs> or it may be just keep trusting me. Just keep trusting me. Just keep trusting me. There is nobody like our Savior. It doesn't matter if we're rich or poor, influential, influential or an outcast. We're precious to Jesus. We're precious to him. We're so precious to him that he died for us. We're going to take communion in a moment. When we take communion, we we eat bread and we drink some juice. The bread represents the body of Christ. The juice represents the blood of Christ. Jesus calls it a covenant. This is the the blood of the new covenant. This is my promise to you. By dying on the cross, he took the punishment we deserved so that we could be reconciled to God. Without Jesus, we're hopelessly isolated and alienated from God. We're helpless because our good deeds can never reach God's standard. But Jesus died for us. He died so that we can be reconciled to God. And he he gave us communion. He gave us this symbolic act of saying, when when you take this, you'll remember that I died for you. When you take this, you'll remember how precious you are to me. When When you take this, you'll remember how much I love you. When you take this, you'll remember that I'm the one who makes you holy. And we take it and we remember that we give our lives to Jesus. We remember that we fully surrender to him. We remember that we belong to him. And maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. You've been in church. You've been part of the crowd. You've seen what's going on. But you have never made the choice yourself to fall at the feet of Jesus and say, I want you, and I want you to heal me. It's it's really simple. The Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All it takes to have a relationship with Jesus is to say, 
save me. Rescue me. I give you my life. And you can do that right now in your own words. It's, it's this taking of a new identity. It's saying, I'm not going to live for myself. I'm not going to live my way. Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sins. Save me. I give you my life. If you believe in Jesus, if, if you want to pray that right now, we want to invite you to take communion with us. As we take it, what we do is there'll be an usher who, who guides you down the aisle, and there'll be a table at the end of the aisle. You just grab a cup off the table and then come back to your seat. We'll rotate around clockwise. So if you're in the middle section, you'll go down that aisle. End section, you'll go down the end. This one down the middle. And you'll just come back around to your seat, and we'll take it together uh, in just a moment. But what I'd like us to do before we take communion is to confess our sin. If you want to give your life to Jesus, you can give it to him now. If you've already given your life to Jesus, you can check your heart and ask him to cleanse you anew, afresh. The worship team can come on up. Jesus, we confess that we have sinned before you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. Father, for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, forgive us, cleanse us, and purify us as we come to your table. Thank you that you are the one who opens the table to us. You are the one who welcomes us to come close to you. Thank you that it's not because of our good deeds. It's not because of our righteousness. It's not because of how holy we were this week that we are worthy to come and take communion before you. But it's all because of what Jesus has done for us. I just want to speak over you that. God is the one who invites you to his table. God is the one who purifies you so you can come to the table. It's not your own work. And so if, if you messed up this week, if you sinned this week, if you sinned last night and you are in church now feeling so unworthy to come to God, so and you're feeling dirty, you're feeling ashamed, I want to tell you that the very place you need to go is that table. It is his table. He is the one who makes you worthy. He is the one who cleanses you. And in our mess, we don't run from Jesus, we run to him. So as you confess before him what you need to be forgiven of, 
pronounce over you that God has forgiven you. God has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. God has made you worthy to come to his table. God has blessed you. Amen. Let's stand together. And the ushers will dismiss your robe.